to the Citizens Report for the 13th of March 2020. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Victoria State Chairman Jeremy Beck. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, GFC Mark II. Bail-in is now a clear and present danger. And in a health crisis, economic liberalism and green fascism are deadly. So first item, GFC Mark II, bail-in is now a clear and present danger. So we're approaching the Ides of March, anything could happen. I think that we probably no longer have to convince our viewers that there's a new global financial crisis underway. Uh, and look, it's not the coronavirus. Uh, Robbie Barwick tweeted this morning that coronavirus is like a stray ember blown into a gunfire magazine. Uh, so that just happens to be the trigger, but our economy has been shot for a long time and this is just showing up the reality of that and we have to react to it fast and we're going to talk a bit more about the solutions because all the solutions are actually ready to go. We can implement them very quickly. So we'll come back to that. But first of all, um, the uh, Dow Jones had already collapsed 20% of its value from recent peaks and we've just heard from the close of markets from trading in the US yesterday that it has lost 10% which is bigger than uh, even pre-1987. Europe just had the worst trading day in history. Deutsche Bank shares have plunged below limits uh, that certain analysts had been saying were danger zone for the continued existence of Deutsche Bank. That's below a uh, share value of five euro. And Deutsche Bank uh, is the, the bank that the International Monetary Fund had said that could trigger off a global financial crisis. And, yeah. and they've got around $50 trillion in derivatives. Uh, this, this is really very yeah. concerning of the contagion that could spread. Absolutely. It's mm. one of the most systemically interconnected banks with its derivatives mm. portfolio globally. Mm. Um, so the US Federal Reserve clearly knows mm -hmm. what's at stake here. They've just announced uh, an intervention through the US, um, I should say the New York Federal Reserve repo operations. Yesterday they offered $1 trillion in two uh, lots of one month and three month repurchase agreements and today they were offering a further trillion. Did you say trillion? This yeah. is incredible. It's yeah. really not billion. This no, is, this is huge. 1.5 mm. trillion over mm. two days. Now, it wasn't mm. all taken up yesterday. Mm. 78 billion was taken up. Mm. But what the New York Fed has said is that they will continue making that offering of one to one and a half trillion each week mm -hmm. in these uh, one month and three month short term liquidity offerings. Mm. And this is on top of, mind you, the existing repo arrangements, which we've discussed in previous shows. Uh, of overnight lending to the tune of 175 billion and two weekly lending uh, to the tune of 45 billion. Mm. So it might not have all been taken up, but they know what they're going to need in the coming period ahead, which is why they're making regular offerings. Uh, now, this is on top of the UK, which has just cut rates to 0.25%. Europe will make further cuts. The US already made an extraordinary cut, and Australia has recently made a cut. 
in addition to this, the AFR had an article on the 10th saying that the RBA, the Reserve Bank, has already been doing very quietly its own repo lending, injecting short-term liquidity into the market since the 19th of February and is now poised to inject liquidity into the banking system with, quote, emergency multi-billion dollar funding lines on standby, unquote. Uh, and this is partly because, as Christopher Joy uh, from the AFR pointed out, there's been a complete evaporation of liquidity, which is truly cataclysmic for mm. both corporations and for banks. Mm. Um, now, of course, this coronavirus is therefore becoming the external event that gives them a justification to mm -hmm. do a bailout without having to admit that it's their fault that the economy's gone to absolute junk. Mm. Um, but bail-in becomes a very real issue under these conditions because banks are in crisis, of course, um, leading the stock market crashes have been the collapse of bank shares. Mm -hmm. I think Commonwealth Bank's close to losing half of its um, value. Um, now, we, we saw in India this week that Yes Bank was in trouble and uh, that included a bail-in. Now, mm -hmm. it, India actually defeated statutory bail-in, which is bail-in in form of legislation where anything can be taken in 2018. However they do still have the ability for contractual bail-in, which is where certain bonds in the contract say under certain circumstances they can be bailed in and taken to recapitalise the bank. And the problem is that you had a lot of retirees and pensioners that have been coaxed by bank managers and by high interest rates to put money into these kind of investments and have lost everything, as we're seeing now in Australia with you know, our superannuants that are losing money on the stock market. Uh, but this is in addition, uh, and that's where bail-in is a real grave threat here. Well, we can't say we didn't warn them uh, here in Australia. I mean, back in March 2013 when bail-in happened in Cyprus, I mean, we made the point back then. And then in June, we put out a major media release saying, bail-in, your deposits are at risk. Your money's at risk in bail-in. And this has been an ongoing plan by the bankers. So it's not that this coronavirus has caused the crisis. The crisis is already there. Mm. Now, during the week, we had a real breakthrough on this campaign because bail-in, there's been nothing in the media about it. But Alan Jones, who's been regularly raising the cash ban both on his radio show and on Sky News on TV, raised it this week, and we want to play a clip here. He invited uh, Matt Barry, CEO of Freelancer, onto the show again. He'd had him on previously to discuss the cash ban. So I'll play this clip where he raises bail-in. Now, we could go on all night, but I want to ask you about something else. And Peter is in the same boat as me here. I mean, I knew nothing about any of this stuff until I was bailed up. Then I find out that in 2018, there were, for example, the, the phrase bailout, I think everyone viewing knows what bailout means. The government will bail out the banks. If the banks get in front, they'll bail you out. That's taxpayers' money. Well, there was a bail-in piece of legislation passed in 2018. Only eight senators in the House. It was passed on the voices. And bail-in means if down the track the banks get into trouble, they have access to the liquidation of your assets with the bank. Matt? That's right. So in, it was Valentine's Day, actually, of 2018 that it passed in the Senate with only eight senators present. Um, legislation that um, provides uh, in crisis times, if there's a, a bank failure, uh, the ability for APRA to step in and uh, take control of a certain uh, instruments uh, that are with the bank in order to bail the bank in using depositors' money. So this is just like in Cyprus 
a little while ago where everyone woke up and all of a sudden your bank account had less money in it because it was used to kind of bail out the bad, bad debts. That could be shares or bonds or notes. Could and it, it also... be cash in, cash in a bank account? Yeah, it so, could be deposits. Well, so what, 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 on that day that you're talking about, what happened was one nation were negotiating, with, as I understand it, with Matthias Cormann to exempt deposits that is, your deposits at the bank from the provisions of this legislation. While they're talking to Matthias Cormann, eight people in the Senate have passed the legislation. Correct. So in New Zealand, the legislation specifically says they can use deposits to bail out the banks or bail in the banks. In Australia, it comes down to the, 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 the legislation says for sure that they can use hybrid securities. Mm -hmm. So these are these um, fancy things they sell to um, retirees to get high yield. Um, yes. uh, but it comes down to the definition of instrument under the, um, yes. in the legislation. It's not clearly defined. There's legal opinions that say that it does cover deposits yeah. and, for example, self-managed super funds and so forth. Um, and so... But, but in any event, it's, it's appropriating someone's property. That's yes. what you're getting That's at. That's correct. Yes. So, so, you know, we pride ourselves on watching the parliament. I did not appreciate this. It doesn't come on the back of, say, the GFC fight we had 10 years ago, or 20 years ago. What's the rationale? What's the argument for doing this, Matt? You have three choices for bank fails. You can either let it go insolvent and go into liquidation laws, or you can bail it out, as Alan points out, where the, the government comes in and uses taxpayers' money to bail it out, or you can bail it in by using deposit funds. what was the prompt in 2018? Like, if they'd been putting this up in 2008 when the GFC was, was yeah. hitting us hard, I can understand the... I don't agree with it, but I can understand the timing. What was the motivation? Malcolm Turnbull was Prime Minister. What was the motivation in 2018? Well, I, I can't talk to you about what Malcolm Turnbull's motivation was, but around the world, a whole range of countries were passing these laws, I think after the Cyprus incident and so forth. You've got to remember that in the global financial crisis, the Australian banks were insolvent because they, re they rely upon foreign funding in order to actually conduct their operations. So the Australian banks were only kept alive by uh, the deposit guarantee, which the federal government gave in and, and rented the, the, tri the AAA um, uh, credit Correct. rating, and also liquidity operations uh, where they provided $4 billion worth of mm -hmm. cash on a daily basis to the banks. And, and the other point here is that parliamentarians don't read legislation. Look, we're running out of time, but I'll just make one point, that on February 27, which is only a couple of days ago, Senator Malcolm Roberts from One Nation introduced a bill called Banking Amendment Deposits Bill 2020, which is effectively the same as the amendment that they were trying to get over when they were talking to Matthias Cormann, and it would stop this Act of 2018 from being used to bail in deposits, your money. So every one of you watching now should urge your MP to support this bill which is being introduced into the Senate, the Banking Amendment Deposits Bill. Just a quick one before you go, where's this heading? Well, I mean, one thing I wanted to point out, um, which we haven't covered yet, is the fact that the Australian uh, deposit uh, guarantee only covers deposits up to $250,000. And above that, you're not, you're not guaranteed. If it's a failure, it's, yep. it's up to you. Um, you, you know, you, you, you're at your own risk. Um, together with the cash ban, you know, your money's trapped inside the banks now. Uh, to, to an extent. Um, there's the ability for a future government without having to go through formal legislation to just make an amendment uh, to include the $10,000 cash ban in, uh, to withdraw money from the bank itself. That, that would, could also be banned um, and, and, and be subject to two years jail. And that doesn't require actually going through the parliament properly. Um, you know, where this is heading is basically greater and greater control of your money yeah, and uh, inability for you to actually OK, well, we're not, going to solve all, we're not going to solve all of this, but thank you for talking. Great. We're not going to solve it tonight. I'm staggered about all of this. Uh, the, the extent to which there's any been public debate, public discussion, public information, an election campaign telling people we're going to do this, 
non-existent. It just sort of creeps up behind us all and then you sort of think, what can we do? Well, we see Peter Credlin. She was wondering why bail-in was, was coming in in 2018. I mean, this is, as I said before, this was something that was well entrained before then. Even um, the International Monetary Fund was saying that Australia had legislation in train for bail-in, you know, despite you know, denials from our government. But we're warning about it non-stop from 2013 to today. So it's very clear bail-in is on the agenda mm. right now. And we actually disrupted it for a long time too mm. by bringing it to attention. Um, and Credlin actually uh, raised the discussion about negative interest rates in a subsequent um, show that she did when she had the journalists Adam Creighton and Terry McCran on. Um, and she was asking in terms of the cash ban if people have, if there's negative rates, will they get charged to keep their deposits in the bank? And Creighton had to admit, yes, uh, that is correct. You will have to pay the bank to keep deposits in there. And McCran, uh, he actually said, look, you know, he was not um, opposed to the cash ban, but he said it is a slippery slope and he stressed the right of people to use cash. Um, but we've got to take a quick break, but we'll talk more about the cash ban and the latest on that right after this. Welcome back to the Citizens Report where we're discussing bail-in now being a clear and present danger with the global financial crash unwrap unravelling at a very rapid rate. And what that also means is that keeping people trapped into the banks so their money can be bailed in is quite important, otherwise people are going to start pulling it out as we're seeing already going on in a quiet fashion um, from reports we're getting. Um, now the cash ban, uh, as we know, it's had the process of um, inquiry being concluded and there's been recommendations that have been raised, uh, which it's uncertain how Labor and Liberal are going to react to that. Labor is saying on the bill as a whole they're still undecided. Some high-level Liberals are saying the bill is dead. So we can't really tell what's going to happen and we can't let our guard down. We, what we do know is that the bill is scheduled for to come up in Parliament for debate on the 23rd of March, which is when they resume in just over a week. But uh, we don't really know if that's scheduled to be a full debate or whether it's just on the books as a carryover from previous times. So we have to keep ringing our members of parliament and urging them against this, particularly under the current global financial circumstances. If you're sick of ringing your member of parliament, organise someone else to do it, but make sure they do it. Get other people doing the same thing. This could take fire under you know, the situation we're now in, where people are worried about losing everything. Well, we know it works. I mean, we stopped the law. I mean, it would have passed. It would have been active on the 1st now. of January mm. now. And we're getting feedback from these members of parliament, you know, the, the ones that agree with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, keep calling because, you know, we don't like it either. And you see how this is coming to the fore in New Zealand at the moment, actually, because the Governor of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, Adrian Orr, gave a speech on the 10th of March where he released new policy guidelines, principles for using unconventional monetary policy in New Zealand. So this, mm. it's very clear, this new... Uh, realm of unconventional monetary policy, which in New Zealand's case will include negative interest rates, forward guidance, interest rate swaps to bring down rates, quantitative easing, term lending or any combination of those measures, uh, is going to require to keep people locked in banks. And one thing that Adrian Orr made very clear, and this is in um, the guide in this new policy guideline, um, 
under the entry for the negative official cash rate. It says this, that the Reserve Bank could consider changes to the cash system to mitigate cash hoarding if lower deposit rates led to significant hoarding. This is actually very significant because only a couple of weeks earlier after a cash consultation that the New Zealand Reserve Bank held last year to which they got 2,400 submissions from a population of only 5 million New Zealanders, uh, he had been saying, oh, we hear you. We're listening to people. You demand the right to use cash. Well, we're going to take that seriously. So, you know, he can't remain. Can't have it both ways. No. Yeah. And obviously yeah. the international banking authorities are going to come down hard in this current period and demand uh, that they hold the line and put mm -hmm. the banks ahead of the people. And it can happen if, if you look in, in Germany where there was a war on cash and the people are just outraged and they stopped the, the cash ban going there. The same can happen here and for bailing. That's right. Mm. Now you can read more about that in this week's Australian Alert Service. Um, people who haven't already called in for a free comp a copy call in will send you out a copy so you get a sense this is our weekly publication with all the backup info that we don't have time to go through on the show. So you'll see an article there on the RBNZ, which just to add also, they have probably the most explicit bail-in regime mm -hmm. in the world and they're quite open about it, that deposits would be taken and they've got no deposit guarantee. So you can read more about that and about India as well. Mm. Now, we're going to discuss further implications of this, particularly as it relates to reviving Australia's real economy right after this break. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. We're now discussing in a health crisis, economic liberalism and green fascism are deadly. Now, number one has to become the function of the economy and efficient functioning of the healthcare system and provision of equipment that we need because we are facing a pandemic of this novel coronavirus. And one of the things that a lot of the health experts are talking about is what they call flattening the curve, which will put up a graphic of that. And Boris Johnson actually referred to it, the British PM, well, not in so many words, but to that um, idea that uh, restricting people and shutting down public events, certain elements of lo lockdown, as we saw China do very efficiently, are crucial to slow the spread because it is a new disease, there's no immunity, etc. So people are going to get it, it's going to spread very fast. Um, and therefore, if you slow down, that spread with a mm. lockdown, you can actually allow the healthcare system to deal with the cases as they come in a slower fashion. And we've had a couple of leading figures in Australia saying this. Chief Executive of the Grattan Institute, Dr John Daly, has said, look, don't wait for the community transmission to be higher before you lock down. The reality is, he said, once you see significant community transmission, then without doing those things, you wind up looking like Italy pretty quickly. And by pretty quickly, I mean in two weeks. But whereas countries that had uh, the restrictions in place, and there's a lot of um, statistical analysis showing this now, uh, slowed the spread because of those restrictions and were able to handle it much better. An emergency doctor Sydney's, at Sydney's Ride Hospital, Cathy Hull, has said the same thing. We can slow the spread if we start the lockdown now. Um, but many experts are still saying that's an overreaction. Uh, but of course, the bigger problem than the disease itself is our economy's incapacity, inability to deal with it. And that's what we want to talk a bit more about. And I want to just mm -hmm. draw the contrast, uh, Jeremy, between China's approach and our approach. I mean, we've mm -hmm. had this stimulus, which is about 
all the news reports saying spend, 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 we want people to spend. So they're just throwing money out that's not strategically directed into the areas where we need it to deal with this crisis. Mm. Whereas China, and I want to read an account from David Llewellyn Smith from Macro Business because he's usually quite anti-China to say the least. Um, and his article on this was headlined, China saves its people as democracies slaughter theirs. He said it is impossible to miss the diametric opposite responses of East and West to the pandemic. China shut down completely to choke the virus. It appears to be on the verge of success. Western democracies have failed completely to contain the outbreak and have moved swiftly to stimulus. That is, they are encouraging activity that will only spread the virus further and trigger a much deeper mass casualty event for the elderly. It is tempting to interpret this through the prism of values. Confucian cultures revere the elderly while Western individualism throws them on the scrap heap. We'll put up a picture of a hundred-year-old Chinese lady that was just saved by the Chinese healthcare system, uh, which I don't think would have happened in the Western world. And Llewellyn Smith continued, the Australian economy, he said, is based upon a confidence trick of endless mortgage and house price. However, by comparison, China can shut down and not collapse because it has real economic activity at its base, a massively productive economy that makes real stuff and real money. Yes, it's got other problems, he went on, but at the end of the day, because it has an economic base, not just fluffy superstructure, it can look after its people better and weather this shock economically more so that consumer societies can. And while you're thinking about that, I'm just going to put up a clip of uh, the Chinese have geared up production again of face masks. So watch this. And China says it's now producing over 100 million face masks a day. The National Development and Reform Commission says the country turned out 116 million masks on Saturday. That's 12 times the figure early last month. Officials said the production even exceeded the planned capacity of 110 million. They said daily production of specialized N95 masks for the country's health workers reached 1.66 million. Now, Jeremy, our economy, we don't have the capability to turn on a dime and do this mm -hmm. because of the orientation we have to austerity and green dictates. What can we do? Mm. Well, we need an emergency mobilisation now. I mean, we should have had it decades ago. But the fact is that China has been building up its economy, you know, year in, year out. You know, coal-fired power stations, nuclear power, major infrastructure, water infrastructure, the Three Gorges Dam, all these things that have built up a strong economy which allows them to weather this coronavirus, shut down everything, lock people down, and then you reduce that damage and the virus doesn't spread as nearly as far as it has in Western societies. Now, what have we done? We've done the complete opposite. You know, we've got um, people in um, football stadiums, nearly 100,000 people jam-packed in there. We're not taking it that seriously. And really, if we want to do something, we have to go back to that World War II, the, the mobilisation which happened when we were facing absolute crisis in World War II, where Essington Lewis, who was the head of BHP, he got in there and the government at the time organised him to get the munitions going, to turn Australia's economy from an economy that was basically a, an agricultural base that had very little manufacturing into a powerhouse that could fight World War II. Well, we need that for peacetime, but we need that to build up the infrastructure so we can survive this global mm. financial crisis. And you, we won't be doing it if we're focused, as some of the parties are, on mm. zero emissions, mm. you know, which would cut back concrete production, um, and, you know, steel production, all the things we need to be 
strengthening right now instead of throwing money into consumer spending. Yeah. So we need to put ourselves on a war footing like we did in World War II um, and you know, realise that the policies of shutting down the real economy have brought on this global financial crisis, put us into a position where we don't have the economic capacity to keep people alive in the coming crisis because we're going to have shortages of hospital beds, intensive care units, respirators and all the other equipment that we need. So contact the CEC for more information. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Louisa. And join us again next week.